You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, welcome back to Locked on Cavs. I'm Chris Manning from FeelTheSword.com and a variety of other places, including Forbes. Joining me today is one of my favorite guests to have on. It's Jeff Siegel from Early Bird Rights. He's the proprietor of that site as well as writing a places right now like Forbes, Peacher Hoops, and other places. Jeff, what's going on, man? It's all good. It's the middle of August. We're, uh, we're already looking almost a year ahead to 2020, and I'm just, you know, trying to, to relax a little bit before the season starts. Yeah, so if people have been paying attention to this feed, uh, this Jeff, this podcast with Jeff, um, which you're listening to uh, the week uh, the week after, the like the, towards the end of the month of August, uh, I'm doing a little stuff where I'm peeking ahead to 2020. So Trevor Magnotti was on uh, talking about the 2020 draft class. The, uh, Jeff and I are going to talk about the free agency class of 2020 and really what the Cavs, who should have a bunch of um, cap space, could th- could be doing so, Jeff. Basically, I'm gonna we're gonna run through this and run through your kind of your cap sheet. But basically, I don't think there's a realistic scenario where the Cavs don't have cap space next summer. Now they ha- they are gonna be well under the tax. They could create a maximum amount of cap space of about 38 million, a little under 39 million. And then you project them as having um, about um, a little, just a tad under 34 million. Now, the, the that it, there is a thing there that this is due to a bunch of expiring contracts. So Tristan Thompson, Brandon Knight, Jordan Clarkson, John Henson, Matthew Delavadova, all on expiring contracts. Um, you have Ante Zizic and Colin Sexton that will have rookie options for the 2020-2021 season. Jetty Osman has a will be a restricted free agent, as will um, Sandarius Thornwell next summer. Um, this is a really interesting thing for the Cavs because they're in a position to theoretically spend some money. But when you look at the makeup of the roster with Windler, with KPJ, with Garland, with this team being younger, unless they're going to have like the NFL quarterback model, which basically means like they get a star young player and then spend money around him before that player gets really expensive which doesn't really seem to be the case. What they do with that cap space, I think, is one of the probably the more pivotal questions we're going to see this team have to answer between now and, you know, this next five years, right? Like, I think what happens with that cap space and what they decide to do with it or try to do with it and then what their, you know, fallback options are will be really interesting. Um, I don't think we have a clear answer on that yet. A lot of that will sort of, I think, depend on what happens with those expiring contracts. But just tell me if, tell me if I'm wrong and then tell me what you think about them just pretend what would it means for this team to have that much cap space um I, I just don't see a scenario where they are not going into next summer even if it's not 30 million dollars like 20 15 to 20 million dollars of cap space seems like a very likely scenario for this Cavs team yeah I mean and that that 34 million includes their first 
first round draft pick, which right now I have projected to be number one, obviously with the lottery and, and with the, you know, the, the way the season plays out, that can change. But right now they're projected uh, to be the worst team in the league. So they would, they get the projected number one overall pick. That's a $10.8 million cap hold. But if they drop a few spots, that's a little bit of, of extra cap space to, to play with. So, you know, 34 million is almost not the minimum because obviously if they want to keep one of those big name free, the, the big ticket free agents that, that, that you mentioned, Tristan Thompson, Brandon Knight, you know, one of those guys that would eat a lot into their cap space. I would expect that none of those guys is, is going to be back other than, you know, perhaps if they can work out a deal for, for a longer, a longer term deal with a guy who, you know, at a, at a smaller value and they can use some of that cap space. But, you know, in terms of keeping those cap holds on the books, I would uh, be very surprised if those guys are still around, um, you know, but so I think it's, it's going to be pivotal for them to sort of identify where they need help and where they, you know, sort of want to build going forward, you know, which of Garland and Sexton is sort of a key piece for the future. Are they both key pieces? So then you don't really need a whole lot of guard help. You know, what, who of the three wings of Osmond and Windler and Porter can be, you know, wings of the future. How many of those guys can really like truly play small forward and, and, and guard some of the bigger forward questions that they need to answer. You know, Love and Nance, you know, seem to be their their front court of the of the at least the relatively immediate future with three years left or with going into this year, they've got four years left going into 2020. They'll have three years left each on, on their respective contracts. So, you know, I think the 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 season, the 2019-20 season is very much an evaluation season of, of who they have, who they can sort of really rely upon going forward. And you know, filling in around that with that, you know, 34 to $35 million in, in cap space is going to be the, the most important thing. Yeah, so I, I think when you look at this roster, um, the guys that I think you're going to have that I would say are guaranteed locks on the team for, for 2020, 2021 really would be, you know, I don't even know, like, I don't want to say, like, lock because, like, weird things happen in the NBA, but, like, the guys that I would just expect to be there would be Sexton, um, Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., Osmond, I would guess, Garland, and then Nance. Um, Love is the one that I I do th- I just I don't know what that trade market room looks like. Um, what kind of I guess this would be the year if a trade's gonna happen. It just seems like the most likely for for it to happen if it's gonna be this year. But then the rest of the roster is pretty wide open. Um, and I look at the guys that are on expiring contracts. You know, the only guys that I think would logically make some sense to bring back would be if you want to bring Delhi back. I think that could make some sense at a, at a cheaper number for sure. But I don't think that's the worst idea in the world for like another two years. Gives you a veteran. Gives you a guy who's going to help the young guards kind of come along, um, beloved by the fan base, etc. Tristan, I think, could make some sense. It just depends on the number and it depends on what he wants. Um, I don't know if that's like like I. He's probably got a couple, two, three more years where, like, if he's playing 15 minutes a night, he can still really help a good team. But does what does that sort of look like for him? The Clarkson night don't make sense to me. I don't think, you know, Henson could be the same kind of thing as Thompson. But if you have Nance and you have Love, like, you know, there's there's not the, the, the long-term connection with him either from an emotional standpoint. So, like, next summer theoretically could be, like, a roster churning point. The other thing to kind of consider there, too, though, is, like, if they flip two of these guys, they're probably going to be taking some money back, right? Like, even if we don't expect teams to go out and try to spend a bunch next summer, um, you know, I I don't think we're, it's, it's completely the question that, like, they have guys that we don't, we're not even considering now that are going to get, you know, 
eating up. They're gonna like you're gonna get someone that's eating up like ten million dollars. Like that wouldn't surprise me if that if that's really the case. Yeah, I mean, I think that would make the most sense for them is to sort of split up that cap space into using some of it, even if they wanted to use some of it early at the trade deadline, or just use some of it at some point to to take on some salary for next year. Try to you know figure out which teams are looking to to clear some some space, like even the teams that you know even teams that don't necessarily want to clear cap space but want to clear space under the tax need to match salary on another trade whatever else that they need to to get done there are always going to be teams looking to shed money and and that's sort of where Cleveland can can swoop in and pick up a draft pick or two and and really try to continue to build around uh, the the young core that they've got with you know Garland and Sexton and and Windler and, and Porter I think those are their guys you know and Osman of course is as well as a, as a restricted free agent they want him around you know it seems like long term so you know those are the sorts of of moves that they can really consider where they can sort of rent out their cap space in, in a deal either at the deadline as long as it doesn't put them over the tax for 2020 and then of course uh, you know going forward into next summer so my my other thing here too as we wrap up kind of our first little segment here um how do I put this? I don't necessarily think that they should also just take on money for whatever picks. Right? Like I think you need to be careful about what you're bringing back. I would not just take on money just to get a pick. I would be a little picky. Um, I don't know if they're in the position to do that. You do have Atlanta and Memphis as sort of being teams that could kind of do similar things and flip expiring contracts and eat some bad money. But I wouldn't, like, just take back, like, another big. Like, this team already is in a weird situation where, like, they have a lot of dudes who can play center. And, and like, if you want to ever figure out what exactly what you have in Ante Zizic, like, you kind of have veterans ahead of him right now that, like, probably aren't going to be super happy if they didn't play. I don't know what the dynamic is there. I can't speak to that. But, like, that is kind of a weird thing. So, like, if I'm the Cavs, I'm trying to find if – I'm, if I'm, like, prioritizing a type of player – it's like probably a wing that like isn't doesn't shoot quite well enough to be super valuable, and then um, is kind of gets stuck. So if you're looking at guys like in 2021, I'm just gonna pull up the list on on early bird rights as we're kind of talking here. You know, like is it someone like does Miami, you know, want to get off uh, like James Johnson? Does like um, does like like Dion, which would be very funny. Like, is are there guys like that that could be for agents in two years? that we look at is saying okay, okay they, they want to get off that deal and then kind of kind of move on um that the, these are hard things to project like tim hardaway jr would be one that i think would be kind of like fit that mold as well he's at a lot of money but i also wouldn't like if if, if a team can calling with like a big man contract i'm i'm not really going to be super i think enthralled enthralled with that if i'm the caps yeah i mean i think I would come down a little bit on the opposite side of that only because if, as as we move forward into 2020, you know, it's really Love, Nance, and Zizic are the, are the three guys. And if Love's not around, then it's really just, just two of them. And if you're taking on a contract with a bunch of draft picks or with just, you know, a, a draft pick, you might not even have to play that guy. Like maybe, you know, you could see the Cavaliers taking on a big man contract and immediately buying that guy out and just taking the, the pick. And that's no, the, the, the biggest part of that deal. Uh, you know, and, and you, you could see something like that happening. You know, it's, it's hard to say right now where that contract comes from because a lot of the, the bad salary that's been moved around were all 2016 contracts and they're not in the market for that because of, of their tax issues for, for 2019, 20, 
there aren't a ton of, of really, really bad contracts that extend past that. You know, of course, there are, you know, some of the Miami contracts in 20 and that were signed in 2017 that extend like, you know, a couple that you talked about there and, and you know, a handful of others. But it's really mostly uh, the, the 2016 contracts that are that are going to be up this year anyway. So, you know, it, it, where that trade comes from and which team sort of gives up on one of their guys and wants to 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 trade him, that's sort of remains to be seen. But I don't know that I would preclude. I don't know that I would be unhappy with them taking on a big man because, you know, they don't have to play that guy just because they traded for him. No, I think that's fair. But I also think you just don't want, like, I don't think you want to just, like, eat up roster spots for no reason. You can buy guys out, but it, like, depends on, like, it needs to just kind of make, I think that plan needs to be sort of, like, in place when you do the deals, which a lot of times we do, we do know that that happens. So I, I think I'm just being a little, like, protectionary of, like, I'm just, like, my roster building thing with this team is, like, I would not want to rush into doing something that is like not going to help these young guys who I think need some support um, really be in a good chance to succeed. Like I don't want to do stuff that kind of messes that up. That's sort of my, my overarching theory here. Um, all right, let's move on to the class of 2020. So Jeff, I'm going to pitch you. This would be like my idea if I'm the Cavs. Let's just say like they settle in at like, what give me like a, a number you want to work off of as we do kind of a thought exercise here for the Cavs. Like if they could get up to, to 38 like do you want to say like 25 or like 20 like what do you want to work with here i mean i think we should go higher than that frankly like i think i mean my my projection at 34 includes you know chetty osmond's cap hold includes the highest possible pick that they could have you know so really it could be like 35 you know is, is sort of the number that i was sort of thinking about you know of course if they win the lottery then that's great and they can deal with 34 million in cap space and be happy with that uh but you know i was thinking more in the you know 30 to 35 range would be would make sense for for this cavs team going forward okay so let's let's go let's go 34 okay so if i'm looking at the 2020 cap list basically none of the guys that are free agents in 2020 like that are making a lot of money next season are guys that I would super be interested in paying. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, certainly there are guys on this list that I would be interested in paying, but not if I'm Cleveland Cavaliers, because they're not going to, those guys aren't going to entertain the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like Anthony Davis is not going to entertain, ever even think about going to Cleveland. Like he's uh, he's um, going to be a Laker. Like we sort of know. The one guy yeah, I, I mean, say, there's, yeah. there's that sort of obviousness, but like even some of the, the guys who are being paid similarly or higher than him who have options who might opt out. You know, you look at like DeMar DeRozan, if he were to opt out, Cleveland is not on his list. Otto Porter is the same thing in Chicago. Andre Drummond is the same thing in Detroit. You know, Paul Millsap's getting a little bit older. You know, Kyle Lowry is also getting a little bit older like that. You know, I don't know that these top end guys are going to even entertain Cleveland as you go down the list. Then like Serge Ibaka, Danilo Gallinari, like even those kinds of guys are probably outside of of their of their range, frankly, as as a team who's not you know looking to be competitive you know immediately. Right. So that is where I'm working from. So I would say the one the guys at the top of the list that I'm calling just to see if they can get a meeting. Like I would call Hayward if he opts out. Like I don't think you're getting a meeting. Um, but like that's like if you could say like hey we'll pay you a bunch of money you can come prove yourself for a year. And then we'll see where that goes. Like, I don't, depending on what happens in Boston, like, I think that would be like a call worth making just to see what happens. Um, you go down the list a little bit, there are some guys we'll come back to because they're not going to be making as much money. And we'll kind of see what the market looks like for them because I just don't know what next summer is going to look like. 
what I'm doing if I'm the Cavs, frankly, is I'm like going to go like a pretty low down the list, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like the guy that I'm gonna call the moment I can, and I'm, I bet you could guess where I'm going with this, just to see like what you if you if there's interest if there's like, you could get an offer in it and make it really hard on his team. It's Karis Levert. Karis Levert, obviously played for John Beeline. He had a really strong season coming out of. Um, coming out of the beginning of the year last year. Got hurt, came back, still pretty good. He's only 24 as of right now. Um, this is a guy that is growing into becoming a very, very talented player, is the exact kind of wing that the Cavs, I think, should really, really be trying to get that they would very much like to get. He, you know, his his one, we'll need to see what he does this year. I think there is, a, he is, I think, friendly with KD is sort of the way to put it. Um, I don't know, like, how close they are, but I know there's a relationship there. The Nets are going to get expensive. Like, the Nets have two max guys on the books. They're paying, <laughs> for whatever reason, they're paying DeAndre Jordan quite a bit of money. Like, he's the kind of guy, that, any restricted free agency, mind you, that, like, yes, they will be able to match offers and, and yada, yada, yada. I'm not trying to just see if you could get him in some way. I don't know what that looks like. I would. I don't know, like you know, if he would even have interest. He is from Ohio. Don't know how much that matters. Whatever. That's the kind of guy I'm targeting, and that's like one of the few guys that's actually like on that list in 2020 that I'm like, I have interest in paying you money. Like I don't look at the rest of that class, even the older guys, the guys that we would consider maybe better players in 2020, 2021 in that range than than Levert. I don't know if there's like a bunch of other dudes in, in next summer's class that I'm like sort of willing to pay in a real way. Yeah, and I think that the the Levert conversation sort of gets at the larger conversation with the with the Cavaliers is that the restricted market is actually like as of now, of course, and in, in over these next two months there will be you know perhaps an extension or two that takes one of these guys out, but the the, the restricted market for guys coming off of their rookie scale deals. There's there are some guys there who are really interesting. You know, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Buddy Heald, uh, the both Brooklyn guys in Torian Prince and and Karis Levert. There are some guys there who, if even if Cleveland doesn't get any of them, but if he if they can do what Brooklyn did a few years ago with with Otto Porter, and and just try to put the screws to teams who are trying to get these guys back on cheap deals. That's you know that would be a, a useful use of their space you know since they're not going to go you know big big game hunting with some of the guys at the top they can afford to sort of wait it out a little bit on July sixth you know put some some offers in to some of these you know these higher level restricted free agents and see you know see what they can what they are you know what those guys' interest is and and how much it would take to to pry them loose from their their current teams. All right, so I think the. For me, the Levert is the guy. Like, if you're gonna get one guy, he'd be the guy I'm really going hard after. Is there anyone for you that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I think that guy would make some sense. I think, I mean, I think Buddy Heald would make a lot of sense. I think Brandon Ingram could make some sense if we see him take a leap and is is healthier, you know, going forward. And that blood clot issue is not not a problem. Uh, you know, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich would be a really he, he would fit really kind of anywhere. He's in that sort of Karis Levert mode uh, mold as sort of a, a a playmaker at the at the two and can can do a lot of different things. And I think he'd he'd be a really good addition for pretty much any team. I don't know. He's a little bit older because he came over a little bit later. So you know he might be somebody who's looking to win immediately. 
and Cleveland's, you know, not really the the place. Brown, of course, would be really interesting. I think those are the sorts of of restricted names that that would make a ton of sense for for Cleveland to really go after. There are guys sort of further down the restricted market, but you know, after that, I think it it sort of cools off. But there are you know a handful of guys at the top of the of the sort of 2016 draft class that uh, would make a ton of sense for for this Cleveland team. All right, so if you were going to say, let's say that like they just mostly do what the Nets did and put the screws to teams and like really mess with their cap shit a little bit, I think my plan B would be to find guys that I think are a little bit undervalued that like might be the kind of guy that you know is going to get um, maybe perhaps kind of that their teams are going to try to freeze them. They're going to end up going into later into the summer. Um, and, you know, and just kind of being a tough spot. And the two guys that I look at the list that I kind of think about as making the most amount of sense for this in a, in a vacuum, and of course, like we don't, we'll see what they do this year, et cetera, et cetera. But it's Dwayne Bacon, who played for the, who currently is a Charlotte Bobcat. And the other one would be Royce <laughs> O'Neal, who's playing for the Utah Jazz. I look at both those guys, their wings, they can space the floor, their guy, they sort of can fit, they fit needs the Cavs really have. They provide some veteran, um, just some NBA experience as opposed to the young wings. We don't know what Windler and Kevin Porter Jr. and, and Jetty are really going to do. We don't know what Jetty is really going to look like in year three. This is a big, big year for him. We'll see what Cinderius Thornwell does. But I, I look at wing as just the long-term big need for the Cavs, especially if they're going to try and make the Sexton Garland thing work. And if I'm going down the list, and if you can't get Levert um, and some of these other guys, that's probably the type of player I'm trying to kind of go after. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to ever, ever talk to me about Dwayne Bacon and, and okay, so try to the, convince preach, me that he's good. Preach the Dwayne Bacon gospel for those that are not indoctrinated in, in the Church of Bacon. I mean, he's just he does a lot of of little things that sort of just help a team, you know, win games. I'm not sure that he has like a one overly elite skill. He does need to shoot the ball you know, to a little bit better in order to to really break out. But I just he brings a lot of energy to the table. He brings a lot of of just try you know he tries really hard he's always out there trying to to make his team better and I just I really in small bursts I like what I've seen from him it's it's obviously he's not you know some he's not a big name he's not somebody who's played big minutes he's not somebody I would sign to to start and at any you know at any point unless he you know really breaks out this year you know but for now you know he's somebody who you could rely upon him in you know a as the seventh or eighth guy on on a playoff team and I think that's you know, that's where I come down with him. Uh, you know, he hasn't really had that chance. Hopefully he'll get more of a chance this year in Charlotte. But, uh, you know, at this point I haven't, you know, you, you, ha- you need him to be consistently good. And I, that's the, the biggest issue with these guys is, you know, you see these flashes and you, you assume that that's just the way they are. But, you know, obviously that's not just, uh, you can't just take it for granted that a guy is going to be as good as, as his flashes consistently. Because when you, once you play more, the volume goes up. The, the the per possession efficiency usually goes down. So, you know, I really like what I've seen from him. You know, it's worth he's worth monitoring to try to see if he can, you know, take that that next step forward. When you look at the other option, which I think if you didn't try to like maybe maybe you could do this too because you're are gonna have a bunch of cap space. Um what do you what would you make of trying to just rent out 
cap space to guys on like one year prove it deal. So like if you look at a guy that's like maybe going to be a restricted free agent, has had some issues, um, maybe doesn't hasn't like reached their potential or whatever reason, like you give them one year and you pay them like maybe a little more than market value and you have them come in for a year and you just see what they can do and then you either like kind of use that as leverage to bring them back saying okay we did you a solid like do you want to come back for three years or like you just let them go no harm no foul and you kind of roll that cap space over a little bit. When I look at the list, it's like, okay, I think a guy like uh, Myers Leonard, depending on what happens with the cap situation, could kind of fit that mold. I look at a guy like Andre Roberson, who is certainly going to be in a tough position in his career at that point that you could maybe do that with. And you could do that with someone like Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Like, those are the, that's, that's like the three, this is the three broad options that I would do. And I think for me, at least, the way we've talked about them is probably what I, how I would approach it. Yeah, I mean, I think you could, you could, if the, if the, if your money drew, drew, you know, dried up elsewhere, and you, you know, a lot of your other things just didn't work out for whatever reason, that would be something, you know, worth looking into. I think I would probably try to go a little bit younger on those prove it deals, you know, for even restricted guys who are, you know, maybe not at the highest, you know, the the highest end of of the totem pole. A guy like Dario Saric, if he has sort of a a rough year in Phoenix would be, you know, kind of interesting as a just a, a flyer, you know, Wancho Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley, you know, Denver might not want to pay both of those guys. And so if you sort of, you know, try to figure out where Denver wants to go with that and who, which guy sort of has a, a lesser market, which guy sort of doesn't, you know, maybe not, doesn't perform as well as, as he could, you know, in, in 2019-20, but they see a little bit more potential in them. I think those guys would be, you know, really interesting additions. Those guys are relatively young as well. So I think that's, you know, in a way that could be where where you might see might see them go you know a little bit like what Toronto a little bit white like what Toronto did this year where they brought in Stanley Johnson and Rondé Hollis Jefferson and are just sort of both of those guys are basically on like try it out see if it works if it does then we'll try to work something out next summer you know Cleveland can do something similar to that you know going into the, the next year when they you know when more guys are coming off the books and they don't have to you know they've got even more cap space in 2021 they can sign these guys you know, knowing that even if they only have non-bird on them, if they break out, like, you know, for example, like the way Brooke Lopez broke out in Milwaukee, they'll have mega, mega cap space to to bring those guys back anyway. So, you know, I think that's that would be something that I would try to do. I'm not sure I would try it initially with the, some of those older guys that you mentioned. But, of course, if you strike out on the younger guys, those older guys might be there to to sort of pick up the, the remainder of the Cleveland cap space. All right, so the other guy that I would just – that we didn't mention that I think could make some – or two guys that you, you put in the, in the sheet we were kind of game-planning this podcast on would be Mo Harkless and then I think Joe Harris, who obviously played for the Cavs. But I think Joe Harris would make, like, a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think that would be quite, quite interesting to kind of think about a little bit. Um, the, the last kind of thing I want to touch on here is the, the implication of the Jetty Osmond contract. So I have, I don't think we, I'm in the process of researching this and writing about this. I have no idea what Jetty is going to get paid. None. And I don't, I, cause when you look at the guys that he like, that are roughly his age that he comps to in terms of RP in um, terms of RPM or in VORP, it's like Stanley Johnson, um, and like Kelly Oubre. And there's someone I'm forgetting on that, but like, it's not, it's like a wide range of outcomes for him. Um, it's not as if like, he's really like put up a bunch of like is putting up oh, and, uh, Kent Bazemore is kind of on there as well. in like an interesting way. Um, like, 
I don't quite know what to really make of him as a prospect um, in terms of an extension. What do you think he's actually worth? Um, it's Dorian Finney-Smith is the other one as well in the, in the younger bracket. That, and, like, two of those three guys that I mentioned, like, have not gotten paid. What do you just, like, think ends up being reasonable for him? Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be really difficult for them, obviously. Like, he's, you know, he's at that age where you, you know, you want to sort of figure out where, what, you know, what he is and where he is. But he's only, you know, this is, he's only two years in. This will be upcoming his third year in the league. So it's not because he wasn't a first-round pick. He doesn't have that extra year of evaluation before he hits restricted free agency, which in this case sort of makes things difficult on, on the Cavaliers. Obviously, you know, his 2017-18 year was fine, but he just didn't play that much because he was a rookie. They were trying to win with LeBron. Then LeBron leaves. He has a much, much bigger role. Last year played almost three times as many minutes, you know, on a per-game basis, played, you know, almost four times as many minutes on a, on a total basis, you know, for the whole season because he was healthy last year, played 76 games was able to do a lot more. The efficiency dipped a little bit, but he, you know, upped his usage and upped his sort of all-around production to a point where he's like a legitimate offensive player now. And, you know, and I think that's something that matters. You know, I think the the big thing that you look at when you look at some of the, the players he's comped to, the guys who are more defensively leaning, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, those guys just don't get paid, you know, and, and it just, it's unfortunate because like, you know, for me, especially, you know, I, I like defense. I want guys to be paid on both sides of the ball. I think it's, it's just as important as offense in a lot of ways, but when you really get down to it, like, it's just not like you'd love it to be, but it just isn't. And offense is what, you know, gets guys paid. And so, you know, I think that Jetty has shown more offensive potential and more offensive production than like Dorian Finney-Smith or, or Stanley Johnson more up there with a guy like Kelly Oubre, but even, you know, he's got a little bit more of a, of a creation for his teammates kind of, of situation. He's, you know, maybe not quite the sort of scorer, you know, shooter that those, that some of the, the higher level wings are, but I think he's, he's closer to Kelly Oubre than he is to Dorian Finney Smith. And so, you know, if he ends up in a you know, low eight figures contract, just above the mid-level exception, something like that. That would not, uh, you know, totally surprise me. I think that's about right. I also just like, I wonder if it's like a weird cap space summer next year. Does someone come in and like throw a bunch of money at him and like give him like two, like a one, like two plus one, and like give him the ability to get out of it earlier? Like a la the chain. Remember that Chandler Parsons deal with how he ended up in Dallas. Like I don't like. I just don't know what to think about what he's gonna get paid. It's just like so it feels so dependent on what he actually does this year and or what kind of potential he shows to like take a leap because defensively he's the numbers hate him. The film is like sort of tough because like he's spent a lot of time defending bigger guys. I would argue he has not been given a, a role that really suits like what his best the best version of himself offensively is. Um it's like I just don't. I just like have. I, and I think, but I think he's really good for Beeline's offense. I think I'm very high in his passing ability as a secondary creator, which I think makes a lot of sense for him and Colin Sexton. It just feels like if he's going to like morph into a guy that's like worth ten million plus a year, it's like probably got to happen this year. Like this, just like he's a little older for for being a thirty guy. He's twenty three. It's not old, but he's a little bit older. It's a good offense for him, all that. Like, this just feels like a very key year for him in, in actually taking on something that's going to, like, get him paid.
paid a little bit more than like six, seven million a year. Yeah, and I think that makes a ton of sense. The fact that he's you know, only two years in instead of three years in, the fact that he'll be three years in when he hits restricted free agency, the fact that the team has shifted underneath him now after each year, you know, the, the fact that it shifted underneath him after the rookie year because they, you know, went from very good to very bad last year. Now it's shifting again because they've got another new coach. They've got this this two-guard system that they're going to try to run, you know, with, with Garland and, and Sexton. They've got to, you know, acquiesce to all the young guys. They're trying to develop those guys and try to see what they've got from Osmond and, and the rest of their team so i think it's it's a difficult evaluation for them it's it's sort of a difficult thing you know it's a difficult situation for him to be in it's a difficult situation for them to be in to to sit here now and try to sort of speculate on you know where he's going to go because he's you know because he's only two years in because we have only really seen him play significantly for one year like we really didn't see much of him in, in the roughly 700 minutes that he played in 2018 the the you know 2400 minutes that he played in 2019 plus whatever he does this year that's that's what's going to sort of spur his evaluation and that's what's going to you know ensure that he you know either gets paid or doesn't and so i think you know for now based on where he is it's it's sort of difficult to to speculate on where he might be a year from now just because there's so much growth that happens in these first couple of years of a guy's career so you know i think it's it's important to to note that you know, we'll have this conversation again in, you know, May and June when he when he's finished his, his third year in the league and he can really we can sit back and take stock of where this guy is, you know, as a, as a basketball player moving forward. All right, last thing. Um, where do you what do you just make of where the Cavs are at right now? Like, I mean, what? right now it's really bad. No, it's like, bad. But like in terms of like the, like having cap space, having like some flexibility, having some assets and sort of showing a willingness to get assets. What do you just think of like the starting point within of the of the beeline era year two post LeBron? Where do you think they're at? I mean, they're probably in a better spot than I thought they'd be a year ago. You know, the fact that they were so bad that they didn't have to give up that draft pick, they're going to be so bad again that they don't have to give it up again. They just have to give the two seconds to now it'll be New Orleans. They'll keep all of their own first round picks. They've got the Milwaukee pick coming from from the the Henson Delvadova thing. You know, I think it's it's good. They can pick up some more draft picks, hopefully, with, with their cap space if they want to go that route next summer. The summer after that, they could do the same thing. They've got time to really evaluate their guys. You know, I, I think Osman is the, is the most pertinent evaluation for this year. Zizic for the next year. But, of course, he's not somebody that I would, you know, I, I don't, I would not expect him to make any sort of leap to to be a, a an eight figure player. I think he's you know sort of more of a backup center in the in the five to eight million dollar a year range. We'll see what he can do you know moving forward. They've got lots of time with the Garland Sexton thing. Sexton's only going into his second year. They're going to add another high level draft pick. You know, so I think that they're they're in a good spot. They've got lots of of balls in the air, lots of evaluations in the air to try to to make this year. But I think that they are in a better spot than I thought they would be a year ago, certainly. And so I think, you know, they've done a really good job of, of you know, c- putting their assets together to make them work, to sort of understand where they are at, to know that they can take on bad contracts in exchange for draft picks. We'll see how they sort of continue to develop that going forward. We'll see if a Kevin Love trade happens, what they get back for him. That's going to sort of be a, a big domino in this in this rebuild. Are they going to hold on to him throughout the, the contract or, or move on from him. So, you know, I think that's the 
that's the biggest domino that has to fall. And then the rest of it is just evaluating which guys are going to be on this team long term. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Siegel. Again, check out Early Bird or check out all of his writing. You will be a smarter basketball fan if you go read him and then listen to him whenever he shows up on this podcast or a place like Locked on Hawks. Jeff, as always, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.